Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And this week, I'm talking with my guest about the wider property world. Now, most of us, whether we've been in it five minutes or many years, are inclined to forget there is the wider financial market. We concentrate on the bricks and mortar, you know, making sure we've bought the right property in the right place at the right price to do whatever it is that we want to do. But sometimes our best efforts can be absolutely scuppered by the money markets or what's going in around us. So if you are a trader, you have to be completely aware of the nuances and little messages that the markets are sending to you. And in my conversation today with Paul, he brought out many of the clues and the flags that we should be looking for when we're understanding what's going on in the wider money markets around us. And please forgive me for the fact that this week, my episode is a little longer than normal. Paul just talked such sense that I simply couldn't stop any answer before I asked him the next question. Well, welcome, Paul, to the Property Solopreneur today. And you're a bit of a different kettle of fish, property-wise, because you're a trader, aren't you? You're one of those, you're a wheeler dealer of the old school. And the other <laughs> thing that I, you know, I'll let you speak about what you do in a minute. But one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you today is that you've been around the property world a long time. So there's not much you haven't seen, not much you haven't experienced, and you know how to tell it like it is. So who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Paul Rubens. I'm a trader. I buy and sell houses, but I don't buy and sell houses in the traditional way. I buy some stuff off the open market that needs modernization, and I just throw them into auction and sell them, and it's done and dusted. And there's a reason why I do that is is I found I stumbled across it many, many years ago by making a bit of a cock up on something I purchased, which was I underestimated the cost of the works, and I... I overestimated its value, and when we bought it in, it looked like it was going to be a, a very big loss from day one. So we threw it in auction to get our money back or maybe take a small loss now rather than in six months' time, and it ended up selling for a big profit. And out of a cock-up, a multi-million strategy was born. So, um, But I'm a great believer because I was an estate agent for a, a long time, 10 years in the, in the 80s and the 90s, the real hard times of the 90s. Oh, yes. And because I was um, a good agent, I just don't tolerate people's messing about. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, this, this, if you're going to say you can do something, do it. And that's the, one of the reasons why I was drawn to the auction ring as well, because the hammer falls, it's sold, yep. exchange contracts. Even if it doesn't complete, we've still got their 10%, so we're covered. So as far as I'm concerned, it's the, it, it suits the way I work, and I like to simplify everything because I'm the th simplest person you probably know. 
oh, that couldn't be further from the truth. The thing about you and trading as well is all about the moment, isn't it? You know, you've got a property you're going to do something with now. The value is now. It's not in the expectation in the future. You want the money back in your bank and you can go again. That's that's great it. thing about that's it, it, isn't it? It is. And I think it's interesting because I've heard the term, because I entered the, the training arena in 2010. I've never been involved in it. And I've been involved in property since 1986. And uh, and and I heard the term BMV. I thought, what's, what's BMV? Below market value. To me, below the market value. So if I buy something today and I sell it tomorrow, for more money, I've bought it below its value, okay? Yep. Not what some value is going to value it for me for mortgage purposes because that's not below market value to me. That's just below someone's opinion because that's all that is, is an opinion. It's worth that. Yeah. So I, I need to know facts today because it can affect me and I haven't got the luxury of time like a, a property investor long-term would have. Yes, and one of the, the one of the things that made me realise that most people never fully understand the subject was when you talk about speed, because to you, as you said, it's the moment. You've got to buy that property as fast as possible. What's the fastest you've ever bought a property? Uh, 24 hours. <laughs> I love that. And I'll give you I'll give you another thing on that is I've exchanged contracts for a client's property as an agent in 24 hours with a mortgage. I had some a first time buyer that walked in, saw it on the Thursday afternoon. I exchanged contracts for the client on the Friday afternoon, and everyone said it couldn't be done. And I just went, "Watch me," and and I did it. And and it's it's knowing who you can control and what they want. And so who can you control? The solicitors, if you're using the right one. And um, you can control a, a lender if you know what they want. And this is the, this is the key, right, is, is if you're going to try and manipulate and, and influence your surroundings, one, you need people that you can trust around you. Secondly, you need to know what they want. Yes. I need to know. The, the solicitor said to me, I need the money. I need, this is a mortgage offer. I need uh, the client's signature, I need a contract, and I need to know it's a clear, and I need a search. Well, I exchange subject to search, I exchange subject to a mortgage offer, but we had a letter of intent from the lender. The lender said, yes, we're prepared to lend. We had a survey done on it very quickly. It's just, it's knowing, it's knowing what to ask for, yep. and then utilising the people that are around you to, to, to strengthen um, my whatever I want to do. Absolutely. And a lot of that is also is the belief that it's you, the property person who's got to make this happen. Whereas an awful lot of people that I encounter, and certainly some of my clients, which is why I did how I worked to make sure I didn't, it seem to think that they're going to get all the glory. They're going to get all the money, but they don't have to do any of the work. That's what the solicitor does. That's what the estate agent does. That's what, And they will just go on naming all these people that have to do their job. And if you want those riches, you've got to do it yourself, haven't you? There's a fundamental key point to all of this. It's just got absolutely nothing to do with property. <laughs> yes. It's to do with people. Yeah. So if, if if every part of the transaction, there's a person, right? Yep. If you're not seeing it from their perspective, how do you expect them to, to, to help you? You know, I mean, it's... And I actually don't mind um, people taking glory. I don't. I just, it's not one of these things I worry about. And um, and when I deal with estate agents, but people people laugh when they see how I deal with estate agents. And they, I, as an ex agent, yep. I used to have this regularly. An investor would walk in, 
with a business card and a prospectus. I'm Salzheim, and uh, we buy property, and we're looking for people who are motivated sellers, and no, 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 no. They're trying to nick something off someone, so I'm not interested. I'm not interested as an agent dealing with someone who comes in very professional. Right? You may be very professional, but you're not going to pay the price that my client wants. Yep. Or, you know, I'm trying to get the best possible price for my client. I understand that yep. as an ex-agent. So when I'm dealing with an agent, I'm not thinking about it from my perspective. I'm thinking about their perspective, yep. making sure I get inside their head to, to get the best possible result for me, but I make it about them. Absolutely, which means that they'll come and deal with you again and again and again and again, won't they? They do, yes. Sir. And it is also about, as you said right at the beginning, about being a man of your word. So if you say you're going to do something, that's what you do. Now, I remember years ago, you wrote a fabulous book, which, you know, why did you write it in the first place? Because you hate doing things like that. There is. That's it. Yes, still got it. It's <laughs> funny because I've got the proof copy down here. I was talking about to, to, to someone about it the other day, about writing it. And there was two reasons I wrote it. One, I, I, I'm dyslexic, right? And I think me and you had conversations. Yeah, did I'm you hopeless. I'm so dyslexic. I've got yeah, my yeah, own name yeah. wrong regularly. Yeah. And I think um, uh, it was this, I suppose, in a way, I got labelled as a bit of a thicko when I was a kid at school. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't be bothered. I had potential, but I just didn't apply myself. And I thought, you know what? I'd, I'd love to write a book just to shut them up. Right? <laughs> Well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then I've, I entered the, the the training arena in 2010. I, I come across some guy called Simon Zucci. He was telling me how, how wonderful he was. And I had all these meetings. And I'm thinking, wow, people are listening to this guy. And he hasn't got that much experience compared to me, right? So if he can you know, uh, teach people, I certainly can. So we did a course together. And while I was doing that course, I was thinking to myself, the course is a book, really, which is effectively what I do, right? And it's not a hard story to tell. And so I decided that the best way to to gain, uh, what's the word, credibility in the field of training was to write a book. So I just wrote it. And, and it's funny how it came about because the publisher who published it, said to me her client was Simon Zucci because he, he, he told me he'd written a book. And she said, oh, Simon was a model client. He did it all in uh, six weeks. Oh. So I didn't realise, right, I didn't realise this because I, I just jumped to conclusions that Simon wrote it and got it published in six weeks. Well, he didn't. It took him two years to write it and he published it in six weeks. Well, I wrote my book <laughs> <laughs> in two weeks and had it published in four so in four weeks in total, I had from from concept to to actually um, have a proof copy in my hand was four weeks, and I was so proud of that. Well, I, I remember it. it made an enormous impression on me because a it, it was a book that for those who've not read it and should, it, it's very much your voice. So it was clearly you writing it. But secondly, it it was making people think things from a completely different angle. I love, for instance, and no one ever talks about it, the concept of making a, a house more distressed than it was when you bought it. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is understanding what people are like, okay? So when you go to an auction, do you expect to see a nice pretty house with roses around the door? No, you don't. You expect to see houses that require modernisation and you can add value to. Well, if it looks bad immediately you're drawn to it because you think, oh, oh yes. I might be able to add value to that one. So it's about understanding my marketplace and how people act in auction. And then 
I rely on two people, minimum, in the auction room or online nowadays, um, where they're going to be bidding against each other up. And because we we, we put it in uh, a similar price to what we paid or less, sometimes we, we put the price in less, it looks really unmodernized, it looks cheap in the catalogue, People have already bought it in their minds before they actually purchase it. So it's like, it's mine, I'm going to carry it, I'm going to get it. And they forget what what um, maximum price they thought of. <laughs> <where> they, <laughs> they all get parameters they had out the window because they all of a sudden get wrapped up in the, the, the auction process and they can't help themselves and get auction fever. Yeah, I, I always talk about my great father, spent it many times before. He went to an auction to buy a, house, uh, a chapel in Wales and bought a golf course. Okay. He missed out on, on, on getting that too. And he had that money in his pocket. It was burning a hole. He had to spend it. Mm, I, I, I've seen that. I've seen that happen with one of our lots where everyone was chasing the first lot in the catalogue, which was really, really super cheap. And then he got to our lot and then they had, they'd all missed out and they were piled into that one. And, and uh, yeah, and I know we had a good day that day. So, And are you still working in auctions? We are. We are, yes. We've, we've so. You, I think you mentioned in one of the, the, the questions was, is there a time not to purchase? And I think we've been through that time, and that time was between uh, the uh, mini budget that was uh, back in September 2022. Lynn Trusses. That's it, yeah. Cousin uh, Quasi, whatever his name was. And the probably about four, three, four months ago, and I think there was that period where we sat on our hands. Yep. Uh, we we we'd only buy something it was if it was really cheap, really cheap, and we were watching what was going on. And I think we're past that point now. And I think most people are expecting rates uh, to have peaked and certainly going to be on the downward trajectory rather than the upward trajectory. And I think that's going to breed confidence in the market now. And I'm noticing it with with agents who are talking to, to myself that they're getting lots of interest. And I predicted this yes. um, back in uh, a few months, uh, well, a good, good uh, eight, nine months ago. And I said that this is going to happen. And I think next year is probably going to pick up a great deal compared to this year. And I think uh, it will stabilise. So, so there is that was a time not to buy someone. That was a time what not to buy it. And, and of course, there's auctions and auctions. Are you a fan of the modern method or do you like the good old-fashioned, you're in there, the gavel comes down and away you go? The problem with the the modern method is that it still has an exchange contract. Yeah. So, you know, the I am sold model is is you've got the only thing you've got is a fee that's paid to the agents. It's not paid to the the vendor. It's not a deposit paid to the vendor. So, the only ones benefiting from that is the estate agents yeah. because they get paid immediately, and that's why they like it. That's why they're driving a lot of people through to that modern method. A traditional auction is exchanged of contracts when the gavel falls on, whether it be online or whether it be in, in a physical auction. So I do prefer that type of auction as opposed to the more modern method. But online auctions are just as powerful, providing it's a proper auction. Providing it's a proper auction, absolutely. Yes. Having having spent the morning, actually, is quite funny. We're talking about this because I spent all morning going on to an, I've got a, a computer downstairs that's on an auction site at the moment and I've been popping backwards and forwards. And it doesn't half, you know, if you've got something going through, either buying or selling, it doesn't half stop the day, does it? Because your heart's going 19 to the dozen. Well, we, 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 we don't anymore. We, 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 we're sort of like... Uh... Um, with Teflon to it, really. So every now and again, we did a few in lockdown, uh, a few, and we had an absolute 
scorcher of a deal that we purchased in during the first lockdown. Yep. Uh, uh, agents were just about working out how they were going to trade. And, and it was a property that fell out of bed because someone had got uh, cold feet because of uh, COVID. And we... <laughs> It was on the market for two fifty originally, and and prior to COVID, it was getting three hundred, three twenty five, and they'd sold it three times, and it fell out of bed three times, and the the vendor was just absolutely pissed off, pissed off with it. So, eventually, we bought it for two hundred and forty one thousand five hundred pounds, and then we uh, we sold it in in I think it was around probably the the. the it was around the second lockdown. I think it was that September, I think. Uh, he went to auction. He was a little bit nervous because it was the first auction that we'd tested oh, yeah. during the lockdown. And it was in a, a really trendy place called Whitstable <laughs> in Kent. And and the, I was excited about it because it had off-street parking at the back and it was two roads up from the harbour and it was two flats. But I thought someone's going to buy this to turn it back into a house, which they have. Yep. And and uh, it sold for three hundred and ninety-one thousand pounds. Oh my in word! The auction. Yeah, so it was a good day. Uh, but I watched that one because it was the first online auction that we'd done. Me and my business partner Richard were like a couple of little kids. You watching this? Yeah, texting backwards and forwards, calling backwards and forwards, getting all excited. And uh, and yeah, lo and behold, it's, it sells for substantially more than what we thought for. It was a good day at the auction. So. Absolutely. And that also leads me on to the fact is that when you are a trader, you're not just doing one deal per month, are you? No, no You're no, a multiple man. We are. We are. And, and, and it's funny because multiple is very important. It's, it's, a, it's about keeping that money going. But there are sometimes this does go wrong. Okay. And we had one last year. We had one property in auction, which we bought in an area we, we wouldn't normally go into. It was a bit further out of field where we would go. We, you would normally like areas where there's lots of chimney pots and you're close to mainline stations or tube stations or things like that. And this was out in the sticks a little bit. And it was very, it was a nice area. Don't get me wrong. It was a very nice area. And it had a problem which we couldn't fix. It was one of them where the, a tree had grown right next to the building and was affecting the foundations. So even if you took the tree away, you've still got a problem with the foundations, you've got a problem with land heave. So really you need to underpin that corner. So you could solve it, but it would be a costly thing. So we took a punt on it, and it was as the market was changing, where everyone was getting a bit nervous. Is it strong? Is it not strong? Stamp duties come back, and the prices were still rising in certain areas. And we we took a punt, and I say took a punt. That that's that's what we do sometimes. And we had another one in there at the same time. It was over in uh, Ashford, in Kent. Uh, nice, beautiful Y class as a a typical double bayed Edwardian. Brick fronted, Ooh, slate roof, lovely. sash windows. Oh. It had sash windows, but they were double glazed sash windows. Very expensive double glazing. And that one did really well. And the other one tanked oh. and we lost 40 grand. So you had these two properties. Yes. One literally was was a profit of 60 odd and one was a loss at 40 odd. So on the overall, on the day, we had a, a reasonable day, i.e. We, we didn't lose any money yeah. on the day. But if we had just one in there yeah, that would have been, and it was one deal, you was, it would have been disaster, you know. Absolutely. And so therefore, anyone wanting to do, you know, what you do has got to understand that they've got to be very liquid. They've got to have the ability to buy fast and put it through quickly and, and not to mess about. 
it's a fast-paced game, really, isn't it? Now, one thing that also, because you used to come regularly to Bucks uh, when I co-hosted with John to talk about the state of the market, and it was one thing that used to amaze people that you seemed to know what was going on. <laughs> Why do you think this is, that you've got this reputation for knowing what's going on? Because I pay attention. <laughs> I, I may not have paid attention in school, but I pay attention to the market. And it's funny because I've just done a, a Facebook Live last week. On, I saw a lot of property gurus, you know, these people who teach people and said, the market's crashing. Buy now. Get in there quickly. You know, they, they, we're going we're gonna to be buying some real bargains. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think you're right. I think you're wrong. Anyway, so I decided to have a right to a rant as I usually do, as John calls it, my ribbons yes, rant. Yes, it is. It's always a very, uh, and, very interesting ooh, ribbons rant, yes. Yes. Well, there, there's a reason why I come to conclusions, is, is I don't just look at one area of, of this is happening, this is happening. Because what happens is, right, This is, and this is the, the, the rule of thumb, it tends to be across the economic market, big, big, players are saying this is going to happen and people are going to come off their fixed rate mortgages they can't afford the mortgages anymore there's going to be a mass um, uh, uh, repossessions and there's going to be uh, uh, the market's going to tumble people can't afford it because they're living crisis and you and and, that, and when you look at it on the surface yep yeah i can see that yeah i can see that well not so fast not so fast we need to pay attention to history Yes. When I say pay attention to history, we have to look at why do prices fall? Why do they dramatically drop? Why do they crash? And there's been two times they've crashed in the last 50 years, but we've got very similar times to the 1970s, right? Yep. Now, what happened in the 1970s? You had high inflation and you had a high interest rates. That okay? was the terrible time 23.7, wasn't it? Yes. That's it. It's 17. Ooh, 17. Hit. The base rate hit 17 <sighs> in the 1970s. In uh, The inflation was 23.5%. Now, inflation does erode mortgages, so you could understand why that's helped a little bit. But with interest rates at 17%, inflation at 23.5%, mass layoffs, you would have thought there'd have been a property crash. Yeah. Right? Yes. No? No. They doubled twice in that, that decade. That is not what people expect. No, from 4,000, just under 4,000, just under 20,000, they went up in a decade. In a decade. Yes. Right? Why? Yeah. Why? No one looks at that. Yeah. They're all looking at today and saying, well, this is going to happen. You had similar circumstances. In fact, they had far worse circumstances and it didn't happen. And there's a reason for it. And what was that? I've got to tell you in a minute. Um, so <laughs> the next thing we have to look at is the 1980s. The end of the 1980s, you had... A recession start, yep. and then we had a recession between 1989 and 1994. Do you know that was property prices fell 33% in that time? They crashed, yes. right? Right. Now, you didn't have interest rates any, oh, so you didn't have inflation anywhere near what you had then. You probably had inflation at around 6 or 7%, and you had interest rates topping at 15%, but it didn't stay there for very no. long. They got brought down to 12% the same the next following day. Right. So we had rates high, but they weren't as high as the 1970s, but they fell in value. Why? Okay. Yep. I'll come back to that. Okay. Right? 2008, right? Oh, what happened I in 2008? That. They crashed. That is absolutely crossed my, you know, open my heart and you'll find that. Etched. <laughs> Etched in your head, right? Why did they fall in 2008, right? You had interest rates dropped to half percent and you had 
a recession. And you had inflation nowhere near what you've got now, but they crashed for, by 20, 25% in one year. Why? So I'm going to go back to the 1970s. Yep. And then I look at the 1980s and you look at the, the, the 2000s. And we have to go back to prior to 1986 when in 1986, there was something called the Financial Services Act that was revamped. And they took the shackles off the banks that had been on there since the 1930s when the banks cocked up back in the 1920s. Yep. Right? So they, it, it, Ronald Reagan did the same thing in America. They took the shackles off the banks and went, do what you like. <laughs> you know, we trust you, right? <laughs> 22 years later, we know what a cock-up they made because it all – and it took 22 years to cock-up. So all of a sudden, that enabled the back end of the 80s to have a boom time because they started lending laxly, oh, well. i.e. anybody. Yes. Oh, we'll give 100% mortgage. We'll give 95%. The average transaction of a first-time buyer up until the 19, early 1990s was 94% loan to value. Oh, my word. Okay. And then, and then we go fast forward to 2008, and what were they doing prior to 2008? Well, I, that if you had a heart rate, you got a you mortgage. You did, didn't you? And right? you just saw certified as well. Exactly. So you had lax lending. And what preceded, what followed both them periods of lax lending was a crash. Yep. But go back to the 1970s. You needed to have a bank account with a savings account with the building society that you was going to take a mortgage out yeah. with. You had to save up with them for six months, have all your savings with them, then they'd give you a mortgage. So you had a period where it, there was no lax lending at all. What's happened since 2008? Well, it's certainly not been as lax. You, in fact, we had, we've had to jump over quite a few hoops sometimes to get a mortgage. Honestly, you, they wanted to know your inside leg measurement yes. now. If you coughed, why did you cough? Hang on a second. We don't like that. You've got a payment to who? The gym? Oh, no, we're going to take that off. You've had really tight lending yeah. for the last 15 years. Yeah. So now you've – and everybody has taken a mortgage in the last 15 years had to have repayment. Yes. Not in, in doubt – not interest only. Yeah. So you've got two things here. One, you've had really responsible borrowers yep. and responsible lending who have got skin in the game this time. Yes, yes. Again, if you, if, you look at, if you look at the loan to value in the last 15 years, average, it's, eight, it's, it's uh, 82% loan to value. Nowhere near the 94% no, of the no, 1990s, that, They've definitely right? got some money tucked away there. So even if they drop by 5%, they're not in negative equity. You haven't heard the term negative equity recently. No. You heard it plenty of times in the 1980s, and you heard it plenty of times in 2008. You don't hear it yeah. now. Okay. So you've got responsible borrowers who have got skin in the game. Yep. And if they had a problem with their mortgage, they could go to their lender and say, I've got a problem with my mortgage. And they'll go, do you know what? We'll put you on interest only for the next year and we'll take it on the end to get you out of trouble for the time being. So there's options available Which to people. So yes. hence the, there was no options whatsoever. And also since 2008, if you want to repossess someone, that's quite tricky. It's really difficult. It is, isn't it? Very difficult. On a resi mortgage, yeah. on a resi, not on a buy yeah. mortgage, but on a resi mortgage, it's very difficult to get possession. There was a mortgage summit recently, and the, uh, the Bank of England, uh, the government, the big major banks all got together and said, look, we've got a potential problem coming up, which is everyone's coming off their fixed yeah. rates. It's going to be a shock to the system. The government said, we want forbearance, do not repossess for a year, and put some a plan in place 
So we know the banks are going to be very, very flexible with their, with their, lend, with their borrowers. Also, and this is key because there's a, a statistic that people need to know about, which is very important, is that they turned around and said, uh, the NatWest Building Society came out and said, historically, arrears are their lowest level they've seen. Okay? Arrears for residential mortgages. That, and that's where the crashes happen, isn't it? Exactly. So, and and going back to that, so we, we, crashes happen usually following a period of lax lending and when enough people have to sell at the same time. Yes. 1990 to 1995, there were 350,000 repossessions. That's a staggering number. The first quarter of this year, there was 600 resi repossessions. And yet the, no 600. But the noise coming out in the media would have you believe otherwise, wouldn't it? Would uh, the, the stats are nowhere near what people are thinking because they're – automatically come into that point where I don't. I, I, I come to that point of, of get as much information as I can so I can predict what's going to happen. And I can see that there, there isn't a massive – there is problem. Yes. But it's not massive. You should be concerned, but you shouldn't be worried, right? So we know there's, there's a safeguards in place. On top of that, imagine – Seven-year cycle of people buying houses. Someone bought seven years ago. Their house has gone dramatically up in value in the last seven years, which I su suggested it would do many years ago. Yep. Uh, for reasons I'll, I'll touch in a minute. So you've had this dramatic increase in price. They're probably on a fixed rate of probably below 2%, and they're going to come off their fixed rate and they want to move house. Yes. They can afford the mortgage. They've had an increase in their salary over the last seven years. They're in a better financial position. And because they've got such a large chunk to book down on Nectars, they're going to get a favorable rate. So if you, now's the time to move. They go to their lender and say, oh, we're coming off our fixed rate and we want to take a new mortgage. Well, actually, the new mortgage is going to be the same as what your current mortgage will be when it goes up. Oh, shit. We can't afford to move. We can still afford to pay the mortgage, but we can't afford to move. Yes. So we're going to stay put. So that house doesn't come on the market. Yep. You haven't got all the repossessions coming through. Right. People are staying put. So therefore, there's not a glut of properties coming on with a load of people that have to sell at the same time. So this is a standoff. It is really, It's a Mexican yes. standoff. Yeah. You know, I want to buy a house. I'm being told the values are falling. So I go, I'll offer you £50,000. Yes. So the lender goes, no. I've got if, if if the property is good, it'll go. And the agent is going, you've got to drop the price because prices are coming down. The only one that wants to sell it in a bad market is the agent because if he doesn't sell it, he doesn't get paid. So he's pushing, pushing, yeah. pushing, pushing, yeah. right? He doesn't give a shit. When the market's going up, his job is to get the vendor the best possible price. When the price is I – mean, no one's buying houses, he doesn't give a shit. He just wants to get the price down to sell it so he can get a commission in. Right. Absolutely. I mean, his job, I mean, he does have very two distinct, very uh, clear pathways, mm. isn't he? And when the mm. prices mm. start to go down, yes, he is still working for the vendor, as in, I need to get this sold for you. But actually, he's got his area manager or boss going, if you don't sell that, you don't get paid. Exactly. And and, and it's so, so effectively, their own 
um, interests come to the fore, which is always dangerous. And I had conversations with agents who were telling me, no, prices are definitely going to fall. People can't, they can't afford it. So we could have no one register. Yeah, they're registering, but they can't afford the prices. What, then? They can't afford it or they're just not willing to pay for it at the moment? Yes. Which is well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, right? Okay, so uh, trust me, they'll come out. Of the way. And this is the problem, right? And this is where people aren't aware. My stepson has just bought a house, brand new house. And uh, he came and stayed with me for, for six months while it was being done up. And he came and stayed with me with his family because he went to try and rent somewhere. Now, bear in mind, he's buying a you know, 600 grand house, decent house. Right? He wants to rent somewhere decent. Do landlords buy something that is decent to rent out or do they borrow it usually by buying more depressed areas where they're all clustered together, where they're not particularly nice houses? So you, you don't get buy-to-let festers going buying brand new houses on brand new developments and they're lovely, beautiful semis with garages on the side, right? This is what he'd want, right? No, that's not deemed to be a rental no, property. No. Absolutely. No. So, so he's in a situation where you're going, I've got to buy a house because there's nothing to rent. So he buys it. And that's what you find at the moment is the rental market is saturated with, with, with tenants. Yes. Because they're thinking, I'm sitting on the market, uh, the, the, the the fence for a while, and they'll realise very quickly, see, I'm having to pay how much rent? Absolutely. They're paying someone else's mortgage. They're not going to sit there forever. And they're going to go, do you know what? I'm better off buying the bullet. If it drops a little bit, it's not the end of the world. Because it'll go up over. Absolutely. Because after all, they're going to hold on to it for a long term. And Exactly. It's, it's, not a, it's not an investment It's a different purchase. mind game. And the other thing that people don't seem to realise about the concept of statistics and falling markets is that you can see a headline, but it may not affect your area. So, you know, in the credit crunch, I, you know, I, I'm now sitting in comfortably in Suffolk, but my most of my portfolio is in Stoke-on-Trent. And, you know, most of my buildings devalued overnight, a third down in the crap, uh, credit crunch. And I was talking to people who'd worked in Norwich, which is where I roughly am now. And said, you know, how is it for you? And they went, didn't see it. Because there, you know, Norwich uh, is very much an island. We don't have any motorways. We, we like foreigners to stay away. Um, you know, you've got to go on a B road almost to get to Norwich. Um, consequently, actually, you know, it's a very stable market. And so, therefore, you've got to understand where you're working and what you're trying to achieve in it, haven't you, if you want to be successful in property. And here's the thing, right? This is this is the if there's any weakness in the market, this is where it's going to show up. So if you can imagine, uh, I've told you that, that the normal resi market is is pretty tight. I mean, you, it's not going to fall flat on its face. But there is weakness in a market, which is the landlord market, because they've been hit with a triple whammy. Right? Yes. So you've had taxation. Yep. You've had regulation. And now you've got massive increases in interest rates. And they're not favourable anymore. The golden era of buy to let was in 2008, 2000, 2009 onwards when interest rates dropped through the floor and you could offset your, your costs with uh, against your rent so you didn't have to pay the tax. Now that's different. So you've had this triple whammy, right? So you've got, you know, you've got regulation on your back, you've got higher costs, and you've got taxation now. So it's easy to snatch back a buy to let. Yes. Really yes. easy. All right. They don't give a monkeys. Their contract says we can take it back anytime we want. We don't even need an excuse really to take it back. Anyone who was in the market in 2008 that, where their portfolios dropped below yep. the threshold of 75% back, loaded. They? 28 days, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And they can still do the same today because that's not regulated market. It's not regulated like the residential market. So where did them, we mentioned it earlier, where do they cluster? 
they tend to cluster in places like tiny two up two bed you know three bed houses yep. victorian in lots of chimney pots which are the, usually the cheaper areas where first time buyers used to buy yeah, i don't know but they can't get mortgages anymore because they have they're renting yeah. right so they've got stuck in generation rent they're the generation rent who can't get mortgages watch that change by the way and so you've got these guys there who are have got portfolios who can't remortgage no. now because the values aren't going up anymore no. We know this stable. It's this. It's a sort of like a stagnant market. It's not going up. It's not going down. In fact, it dropped a little bit after you got that initial shock from the from interest rates. So we're sitting there with a, a load of landlords who are literally on the edge, and there's a lot of stuff coming from portfolio landlords that are with insolvency practitioners waiting to release them and watch the auctions. They're going to be full of them. And I can trust me, when something has got a tenant in it, it's worth substantially less than you think it is. Because everyone thinks, oh, we'll sell it to another buy to let. But another buy to let lender doesn't want someone else's, they want it vacant before they lend on it, not with someone else's tenant in there. Well, you've got to get a tenant out. The, the, the current landlord doesn't want to get the tenant out because he needs the rent it's to pay It's a vicious any cycle, mortgage. isn't it? Yeah. Vicious cycle. So watch them come through and they'll start coming through. They're going to be your next repossessions yep. and uh, and they're going to be clusters of them, clusters of them. And it's going to put, it's going to force them prices down because enough people have to sell in them sort of markets. But the general market is fine, but it's in little clusters that could be affected. Now, whether it, whether the uh, lenders want to saturate the market Maybe a different kettle of fish because there's rent coming. It's not like it's. Um, yeah, they didn't like doing having too many repossessions last time, did they? They they did try no, they and, no. and keep a, a dampener on the mm. thing because otherwise. So that that will happen. That will happen. They 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 release them slowly. So it might not crash the market, but my view is that lenders are going to start to get a bit bolder because there's less transactions now. They need to lend money. They've sitting pots of money. They need to lend it and watch their criteria change over the next six months, 12 months, a year. And that, that you've just highlighted a really good point there, is that if you are in this property game, it's not about the property. It's about the stuff on the outside, isn't it? It's about understanding the finance. It's actually, if you are a regular goer to a, a property meet, it is about listening to the man at the front who's droning on about mortgages and Sonia swap rates and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't yawn and go. Yes, yes. We've seen swap rates drop in the last few months. You know, they, we know rates are going down. They're going to be going down. There's a trend to going down, not up. So, but, and, and, it, and it's, um, it, but do, 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 you asked me a question earlier about how did I predict the market yes. last yes. time. Yes, absolutely. Right? There was there was a couple of uh, indicators to me. One that rates had dropped through the floor. You had the Bank of England encouraging lenders to lend. They were saying, look, there's a funding for lending scheme here. You can borrow off the Bank of England at a very reduced rate. As long as you lend it, you don't stash it. Yep. They couldn't keep no. it. They had to lend it yep. out, right? So we knew that was coming through the system. We was they, they, They'd printed tons of money to get into the system so they, the banks had money on top of that there was something where if you reduce interest rates and i think the long-term trend was rates are never going to go back to where they were and that was that was coming into the market around 2012 13 lenders were getting 
very confident that these this was going to be the long-term plan. Now, if we think rates are high today, at 525 they're no. not. Every mortgage that's been uh, issued in the last 15 years has been stress tested at 7% anyway. So we're not at that that stretch point. So we know that rates are are lower for longer. So lenders then changed their criteria. They said, look, we'll start lending four and a half times joint income rather than two and a half times joint. They they used to lend because they can afford more because the rates are lower. So they changed their criteria. So we, I could then predict then uh, with the right information, which I got from a company called LSL that did, uh, I used to do a first-time buyer's report. And in 2011, the average first-time buyer's salary was substantially higher than what the national average salary was. Yeah. Because we, we touched on it earlier the average first-time buyer didn't buy anymore. They were stuck in generation rent. So the quality first-time buyers, average salary back in 2011 was 38 grand nationwide. Not southeast, nationwide. My goodness me, that could almost buy a house in some of the places I buy. Yes, not anymore. <laughs> no. Well, in a bad condition. Very well. But absolutely, that is... That yeah. is a change. That is a change. So all of a sudden, if you could then predict and say, well, if the average first-time buyer is 38000 and they lend four and a half times joint incomes, and we know now the average deposit is around 20, 18 to 20%, we could then start to predict where prices could top out at. Yep. All right? So everyone's going, oh, it's seven times the average salary for a buyer of the house. No, it's not. It's seven times the average first-time buyers, which is not the average salary anymore. So people got, they missed that. They missed that completely. Yeah, it's the small print then, isn't it, Paul? It is. Fight the fine details, yes. right? And on top of that, I've just got to be careful of your time. That's all, because I'm gabbing on here, <laughs> right? The, ne- the next thing was, is that I was looking at psychology. So... We have a situation where we know where prices can rise. An average house price in London was around 200, 250,000. And once you get to a point at 250, you get to 300, 325, What comes after three? Four. And all of a sudden, that 100,000 pound increment had changed because that was the new 10,000 pounds. Yeah. And when you, I hear people say, what's the average house in your, in your area, say in London? They go, Copy five, six hundred grand. Where did the hundred grand come from? <laughs> yes. Why? It's a hundred thousand. So once we broke the 250, 300 grand bracket, psychologically we think in hundred thousand pound increments, and so do lenders. Yes. So people start thinking 100, 200, 300, 400. So you've got to bust through that 250 level to get to that. But once you get to it, they go bang, 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 really quickly. Really happened in the 70s. Yes. When it broke the 1,000 pound bracket. It happened in the 70s when it broke the 10,000 pound bracket. And it happened again when we broke the 100,000 pound bracket. We can see where it's going to go. We can predict this is going to happen. Yes. And it's just putting them little things together. And I wrote it in a report in 2011. House prices are going to double in the next two to five years. Yes. Now, my prediction outside London slowed down a bit because of other outside forces. So in, by London in 2015, they doubled, right? And it was coming outside London. Yes, and then we had something called the referendum. And as soon as we had that referendum, uh, what happens is in London, it goes up and then you have a ripple effect outside London because all of a sudden people are going, can't afford London anymore. 
going to go out. And everyone said to me in 2020 and 21 and 22 when the market was booming, it's because everyone's moving outside London because of COVID and they got locked down. No, no, no. It was a natural phenomena. You've got corridors outside London. M1, M11, A12, A13, M2, M3, M4. All these M40, all these corridors lead outside London and people just generally migrate towards... It's an easy way to go and they they know where to go, don't they? Yes. And you you buy better value as you go further out. So it was the ripple effect was going to happen in 2015, 16. It just got halted because everyone went, I'm not sure what's happening with this leaving the European Union. We'll wait and guess when it finished. I don't know. December 2019, when we left the oh, European right. Union. And everyone went, oh, right, we know what we're doing but now. Right, let's go and buy yeah, a house. because you see, it's quite funny because some people still believe that everything can be reversed tomorrow. Well, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. The, the, the thing I'm trying to say is that once it got yes. to that point, people could then start making plans again. So they stopped buying houses. The numbers show, yep. right? The completions dipped substantially during that period. A good 20% lower over the next couple of years, and then they'll come back into the market in 2020 as COVID happens we- and all the other stuff. And everyone thinks it's a stamp duty, it's everyone leave it. No, it wasn't. It was going to happen anyway. It was going to happen. And, and to a certain degree, that, that whole explanation has just really brought home to the fact that people who, particularly new people who come into the whole property market to make money, concentrate on the property market. They don't concentrate on the bigger market, which includes all the homeowners who are actually the bulk of the market. The bulk, yeah, yeah, the bulk. And what happens there affects us. And it's very easy just to concentrate, I think, also on the small stuff, which is, you know, this one building that I'm buying, does it work? And if it does, I'll do it. And if it doesn't, you know, I won't touch it. They don't realise they've got to look at it in the bigger sphere. How does that work in my portfolio? How does that work actually long-term or short-term depending on what the government's doing. So it's a much bigger life to look at if you're working in property than most people think. And do you think... And I think the, the, the word of yes. warning there as well is, is that we, you need to be paying attention to what's going on because as things change, yep. the letting market will change. I guarantee you the letting market will change in the next five years as the lenders become more flexible and start lending to the less desirable. Yep. And they are your tenants, yep. right? Because you, you get quality tenants, but most of them are, are ones who can't get mortgages because yes. you have got transient people, yep. right? And they'll come away. And what happens is everyone moves up a, a scale. So that what we land up with is all the undesirables renting all the rooms that's really trendy at the moment, which is HMOs. Yeah. So you get an oversupply of HMOs. Before you know it, there's lots of problems. So we have to pay attention to these yeah, things. Yeah, you do have to watch what is being, you know, what is the trendy thing for the moment? Because if you go in too late, then you are going to hit a problem. You know, do you think it's possible to start in the property sort of world, no matter how you do it, without money, for instance? Well, I started without money. All I did was I started as an acquisition agent. Yep. I, I, everyone calls them deal sources today. And I'd find for f- I had four clients, and I used to get fifteen hundred quid a deal. Yep. And uh, so I'd find the deals for them. And one of them turned around and said to me, "Me and you should team up. I'll put the money up, and you do the work." Well, and this is the biggest issue I find with most investors or or people entering the market into into this industry is they go, oh, I don't want to give it away. I, I, I was prepared to work fifteen hundred quid a deal just to get my, yeah. you know, to 
I mean, it was never about money to me. Never. It was about freedom. Yes. It was afraid because I, I went self-employed purely. And I think one of the questions you was going to ask me was, you know, when, when did I realize that there was a bigger world outside yes. of making money in property? It didn't happen that way. Right. I got divorced. I wanted to see my kids more often. And in order to do that, I, I didn't have to do 80 hours a week in an estate agent. No. So I thought, well, if I go self-employed, I'm the master of my own destiny and I was confident enough to say, well, I just need, I think it was 1,200 quid a month I needed to live. Right. Well, if I could get 1,200 quid, then I could see my kids more often. And that was it. Well, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And I think, funnily enough, you know, you, you saying you started work in property with no money is absolutely right. But what you didn't do was go, I'm coming into this market with no money. I'm going to buy my first property. It was... I'm coming in to work into property and you know, and I've got to work no matter which way it is in order to get the knowledge, the information, the, the, the war chest, because you've got to buy with something, haven't you? And the ability to say, as you say, I won't get 100% of the profit if I'm sharing the, the way. But no, and that, I think I think that's that, that's key. That's really key. Greed is key. Yeah. Don't be greedy. Right? A little bit often. Yeah. All right, little bit often, little bit often, then build it up, build it. and they'll you'll get there one day. But I think everyone sees the deal; they go, "Oh, the deal source gets it and thinks, oh, it's worth ten grand." And you think, "Doesn't worth ten grand?" You think it's worth ten grand? You're trying to milk the deal. Well, that's great; you'll you'll sell one or two like that. But eventually, people will think, "I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to no, deal it, with you." We've paid ten thousand pound fees, but but it's made us a hundred yes. grand. You know, ten percent. <laughs> you know, you don't mind that. Yes. you don't mind that. And but, and and that the other thing is that. Uh, you know, do you think that people have got to accept that you're going to make mistakes? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I, I, would, I was at a network meeting the other day doing a talk, and I asked people in the room, and I was telling a story about my first ever big loss, big loss. Uh, and I said, "Has anyone ever bought a pup before?" Be honest with yourself. Most people have bought a pup, right? Of one shape or another. My very first deal that I purchased was a mistake. I undervalued the cost of the work, and I overvalued its, its, its value at the end. Um, and if you it, it just, <laughs> instead of being a big profit, it goes that yes. way. And, and, and I was big enough and ugly enough to say, oh, they are cocked up here. What do we do? And it's making the best of the mistakes that you yep. make because they're learning experiences. They don't have to be sitting there thinking, well, you know, uh, I, I can't make a mistake and be fearful of that. Learn. It's funny because we were talking earlier about some software that you was using yes. and stuff, uh, and you have your stuff edited. I literally just started doing my my um, YouTube channel. I was just recording and throwing up. No editing, nothing. I thought, I'm going to learn as I go along. I'm going to make mistakes, yes. and I'm not afraid to make a mistake. I'm not afraid to worry about what people think. If they, they think what they want to think, not, I, I'm not in control of that. They will do, won't they? You can't stop them. But is that also about the fear of making mistakes is the fact that many people have been on incredibly expensive courses, eye-watering prices, and they can't afford to make a mistake because they've already spent 30 grand. No, no. I think that's the key, really, is you should spend 30 grand. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard it. I've heard it positioned where, you know, if you was a doctor, you'd go and get all the information. You'd, you'd study for years and all this business, right? But they study and they've got a big diploma and they can they can cut your head open, right? Where if you're a property investor, you're spending 30, if you've got to spend 30 grand, something's wrong. Something's, something's wrong. Something's wrong, and honestly. 
something's wrong. You can get all that information free online nowadays, right? If you really want to. You can concertina it by going on a course, and you know I, I'm, I'm a property mentor. I get paid for it, but I do believe that you know you don't need to know everything. You just need to know what you need to know. So if you're not interested in in doing development, don't learn about development. That that can come later. You've got to get a, a sound grasp of what you're doing now because the market changes, the rules changes. So there's no point in knowing everything. And then you've just got to get going. Yeah. But I, I always advise people, if they ask me how to get involved, I go, three, oh, no, hang on a second, three, two, one. Got to be careful you're doing the wrong way. Three, two, one. Find three properties yep. to buy. Keep one, but sell two. The, the profits you make on two, you put into number yep. three. So, and, and my, my recommendation to anybody nowadays is, be wary of the debt's good, yeah, right? It enables you to leverage, right? But don't look at it from a long-term perspective because we know things can happen and it can be against you. So look at a debt repayment structure of some kind. Don't I, – I, we did us frustrate me when everyone wants to take every single yes. penny right. and more out of yeah. the house, right? I don't know. You know, it's an investment. It's not a cash cow. And 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 it was great. They yes. built portfolios. But now some of them are having problems. And I could never understand, right? I could never understand this. Someone could go on a property course and they've yep. got a job and they've got a house. They remortgage the house to create a deposit. They go and borrow property, uh, money against the asset of the, of the buy to let and they borrow 75% and put 25%. So technically they've got 100% lending because they've borrowed yep. it off against their own house and against the the, the the asset they're purchasing, right? Now, they go and do that a few times, remortgage and remortgage and remortgage, right? They've got five. And they've still got an income from their from their jobs, and they've got, you know, uh, a media, a, a reasonable income coming in from, from their, um, their portfolio, and three boys go of a weekend. Yep. What happens then? You know, all of a sudden they've got a situation where they're having to run around and try and find some money to do the repairs. Not everybody should no. be a landlord. You should have you should have something behind you before you're in a, before you're allowed to be a landlord. That's my view. But that goes back to the old, you know, absolute old school, absolutely. But it, it it is there is no point in having an asset, even if it's technically good debt, which I have a problem with the concept, if you can't actually afford to maintain it. And you can afford to maintain it where interest rates are less than two percent, and one point one percent. But when rates go to five and a half percent, and you're having to pay seven percent, absolutely. Your and tax of on course, it. everyone, a lot of people who came into property after the crash, quite considerably after the crash, assumed that by rights, a big chunk of the rent was their salary. Mm, that's and right. It, yeah, it's yes, an investment. It, not a yes. salary. Um, and so therefore, I'm always very wary when I, and I say this to all my my mentees, um, if you are watching someone from the front to the front of the room go, I've never sold anything. They've either been in property a very short space of time, or they are remarkable because they've never bought a lemon, or they've never taken out to, they've never had a problem happen, which they're very rare people, I feel. I've, you know, I've had more than my fair share of, you know, Close shades on many different things, and you just go, oh, "Gosh, I can breathe again now." Well, you see, I, I look at it very similar to to, to um, if you've got 
a forest and you're you're regularly cutting your trees down for 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 timber and then you regrow it and you've got to maintain it it's like you, you it's like um you, there are going to be properties that aren't as profitable yep. as others we everyone i know that's bought a portfolio has had a pup somewhere along and it might not be a pup in value it might be just a house that's bad it keeps reoccurring <laughs> damp yep. problems Get rid of the damn thing and then put the money back. Do you know what the biggest thing I find in this What's whole that? industry is they're all afraid to pay some tax. <laughs> it's, a, it's about, I can't, oh, I don't want to pay any tax. Don't want to pay any tax. I don't want to pay any tax. So they, they don't want to take, they don't want to take the, 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 the chunk of money out Great because, tax. you know, they've got to pay the tax. But listen, this tax is a way of life. You've got to appreciate that the one of your business partners uh, two of your business partners. One is your lender and the other one yes. is the inland revenue. They're your business partners. Just accept it. They're going to take a big chunk. Right? Come along. Thank you very much. Just get used to paying. If you're paying tax, that means you should be on the upside, not on the downside. Absolutely. And if you want to get more money into your uh, into your bank account, you might have to adjust exactly what it is that you're doing uh, because you may just, you know, your chosen path may not be fulfilling everything you need. My word, Paul, we could chatter all day. Um, I, if, now, I, I beg anyone who's never seen you talk at a, a property meet to go and listen and to make sure that they've, they've got a drink because they'll want to stay and capture every word. Thank you very much for spending the time today to just give us a little, a little snapshot. But I'm sure you've told everyone that this property malarkey, it's more than just bricks and mortar. Yes, nothing to do with bricks and mortar. That's the commodity I track. That's it. Oh. Simple as that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Balls. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business.